0: Hi, I'm Johnny Dam, host of the Damage Report Radio Show. When I'm not falling in love with the First
1: Amendment all over again, I like to sit back, relax, and rub my meat to the Barbecue Central Show. And now your host, Greg Rempe. Go, Greg. Yeah, rub that meat. So to get that perfect barbecue,
2: you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match,
3: and... Oh! Should we call the fire department? that might be a good idea.
4: Welcome to the Barbecue Central Show. The show where we talk about all things that are important in the world of barbecue. From big name interviews with competitors on the barbecue circuit, grill manufacturers and pit makers, to advice on cooking brisket and ribs. You'll find it all right here on the Barbecue Central Show. Your host, Greg Rempe, is a backyard barbecue and grilling fanatic and loves to talk about his passion, which many of us share together. You can learn more about barbecue and grilling by visiting the website the bbqcentral.com now let's get in the smoke here's your program host greg Rempe.
0: hey gang welcome to another special edition of the barbecue central show <laughs> Did you know that it is the uh, show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling? Is it too much up on me, Kevin? I can back it off a little bit. Send me a message. Let me know. Uh, we originate from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. Happy to have you aboard here on a Tuesday as always. If you want to get in touch with the show, we can do that. Uh, 877-4480-433. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com is the way to get in touch with the show. As I mentioned, this is a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. So if you have a item that you would like to talk about, you're more than welcome to jump in here for the first segment, as a, as well as another uh, number of other segments, if you want to. Uh, this show is for you as much as it is for me. Hey, look who made it into the chat room, it's Sapo! What's up with Texas, Sapo? Thanks for joining us tonight, live and in person, Surfing Sapo, everybody, legend, video legend. Mostly from uh, the Barbecue Central Forum. He's a big fisherman, too. Sapo, happy to have you, buddy. Welcome into the show. 877 uh, 4480 Greg at the BBQ Central showcom is the uh, contact information, as I just said before. Here's what's happening on the show tonight. In case you were wondering, if you didn't sign up for the newsletter, you can go ahead and do that, by the way. Uh, go to the Barbecue Central Radio Network homepage, and then uh, link on the bottom right side, I believe, it says newsletter type in your email address that's the most important part you don't have to fill in anything else i don't think maybe your name uh, in an email address but everything else is optional and you will get a heads up on what's happening during the show you can also follow me on twitter at the bbq central show.com you can also find me on facebook just my name greg rempe friend me up i'll friend you back swear to god here's what's happening tonight coming up in about 11 minutes from now we're going to be joined by a first timer to the barbecue central radio show jungle he is a big-time competitor out there on the circuit. I believe he does multiple sanctioning bodies as well, which is something that I always appreciate and enjoy. Bubba Latemeyer from Bubba Q, and once you do a, you know some Google searching on the name Bubba Q, you realize that it's probably not the most original name ever when it comes just to barbecue in general. Bubba barbecue, redneck—they all kind of want to seam together very easily, so there's a number of Hell, there's a Bubba's Q restaurant in Westlake, Ohio, which is due east of downtown, about 10 miles for crying out loud but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about Bubba Latimer he has been on television a number of different times Uh, he has his wife cook with him she's always uh, hanging around him as well so very excited to be talking to Bubba tonight Bubba's pretty much going to own the first hour we'll be talking about a lot of competition stuff first segment and then during the second segment we're going to be doing a little bit more, switch it up a little bit, and talk about restaurant because Bubba owns two restaurants in Georgia, too. Two restaurants, that's a little redundant. He owns two barbecue restaurants in Georgia as well as everything that he does on the competition scene. So that's going to be very interesting, getting some competition talk with Bubba, but then turning it around and seeing what the business is. Of barbecue. is like, how many times have I said it before? Backyard Warriors. Everybody loves your stuff. Inevitably, people are saying, man, you should just open a restaurant regardless of where you're at. Georgia, definitely a little bit more environmentally friendly when it comes to having barbecue year-round. Some people do it. I mean, they they like to have barbecue year-round. I I just never think that it would be a great idea to have a full-time barbecue restaurant here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, but I mean, who am I to say what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly? Who do I know? Uh, so Bubba Latimer is going to be joining us 14 past the hour, taking us all the way through segments two and three. So look forward to that. Second hour, we're going to be joined by another first-time guest of the show, Mike Pickett, and he is a KCBS judge. He is on a mission, ladies and gentlemen, to become a certified master judge. And in order to be a certified master judge, you have to – have uh, judged X number of competitions. I'm sure he'll be able to lay out all the statistics on how you go about getting that certification. But of course, one of the other mandates is the fact that as a judge of trying to obtain this particular status in the judging stratosphere, you need to cook with a team. So he teamed up with uh, one of my favorite teams out there in the competition scene right now. Uh, they've been a guest on here a few times, hot grill on grill action. Uh, that would be uh, all those guys out there, Logan and uh, Scott, Ryan, Chris, I believe. I, I don't even think there's a Scott on there. Matt. That's who it is. Uh, I thought Peter Frampton and then it's Matt Frampton. So I believe I got all four of their names right there. They let uh, Mike cook with them. I think it was two weeks ago. So now he's accomplished that portion of getting the certificate of the master judge certification for kcbs so i thought it would be kind of about time that we have a judge in here who can talk about what it's like in the tent uh, we talk all the time to competitors here on the circuit about how are you doing this i mean basically it's going to be kind of a unique show in this evening with the fact that i'll be having one of the top competitors out there on the circuit today. For the first hour, then when we turn around, second hour, around uh, 10 after 10, I'll be talking to a guy who 99% of the time is judging. I don't think he has a competition cooking team. And he is the other side of the proverbial fence. So great, unique, and different perspective that we don't usually get here on the show that we'll be getting here tonight. And that'll be around 10 o'clock or 10 after 10 tonight, an hour from now. So stand by for that. Finishing out strong in the second hour is a, a semi-recurring guest, Malcolm Reed. He is the pit master of Killer Hog's competition cooking team. And Malcolm has a great blog. If you have not signed up or headed over to the blog, I believe it's called, uh, oh, crap. It's killerhog.com. But you can, uh, if there should be a link for how to, how to cook bar. Wait, hold on, hold on a damn minute. I know I got it here as it's called here, it's uh, how to BBQ right, how to BBQ right. Great blog, but what's even better is about once a month, or it might be twice a month, Malcolm puts out a newsletter where he just kind of writes down um, perhaps what's striking him or what he would like to disseminate information-wise to the barbecue public. And if you sign up for it, you get it. It comes right to your inbox. It's great. It's been a number of times where I've looked at his particular email that he sent out and i was like damn you know that's a great idea let's see if malcolm's doing this coming tuesday and this was another one basically we're going to be talking to him about overcooked barbecue and perhaps more importantly than that uh overdone no texture barbecue the perfect texture for barbecue and then how to achieve perfect textured barbecue so we'll be closing out the strong dare i uh, <laughs> I'm getting a little ahead of myself closing out the show strong with a, a semi-regular fixture to the show now malcolm reed uh, began pitmaster of killer hogs so look forward to that uh wanted to mention that i got an email from a listener nick who said that uh he has a friend uh, this i'm sorry The subject line of this email, revisionist definitions of barbecue, if you listened to the show last week, if you caught it on podcast at some point after Tuesday, you would realize that I had Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com. And towards the end, I was trying to... um, put back in his face or proverbial lap an email that he sent me and i misread it uh, but he was kind of tongue-in-cheeking the fact that what a lot of competition barbecue cooks out there are doing now uh, butter poaching chicken braising beef and pork all this other stuff not the traditionalist barbecue and of course craig made the point many months ago that barbecue is a, a much bigger umbrella and everything is falling underneath it which sparked Nick's email to the show called Revisionist Definitions of Barbecue, and it reads as such, I have a friend who puts sauce on freaking hot dogs on the gas grill at 600 degrees. I guess that must be barbecue under that tolerant, all-encompassing definition. I wrote you this before, but I hope the next time one of the proponents of that all-inclusive definition orders barbecue at a restaurant, they get a hot dog. Carmack Justice. Yeah, baby. P.S. Where the hell is Dan? What? No kidding. Where is Dan? Miss Dan. Love Dan. Dan, a fixture to the show there for the early parts of the live show. Dan, uh, shout out to Dan. Where are you at, baby? People love Dan. Dan from Wachula. You know Dan from Wachula. Anybody? Go back and get the archives of the show if you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll be uh, happy that you did. All right, gang, uh, briefly, let me tell you about the good folks over in Warminster, Pennsylvania. You probably know them by now. I mentioned them as the longest-running sponsor here on the show. That is the Barbecue Guru. And typically, I'm talking about their automatic temperature control devices. They are the creators of them, so why wouldn't I talk about it? But I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm just not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to spend the next two minutes telling you about the Onyx Oven. Now, the Onyx Oven is a creation, a brainchild of Shotgun Fred, of Barbecue Bob Trudnack, uh, all of these guys out there. And let's say that you're a backyard warrior like me, and you've thought about getting into some type of catering around the neighborhood or for doing something around your general neighborhood. Or perhaps you're a one-team competition Jones. And you don't have the ability to pull a huge jambo pit or close pit or gator pit behind you. You need something that you can multitask with that is easily movable, can break down easy, lightweight, is put together and tore down in just a matter of moments, but is able to hold a substantial amount of meat and be very, very fuel efficient. Folks, I've just described the Onyx oven, and you can check it out yourself at the Barbecue Guru website. It's BBQGuru.com. The thing is super insulated. It can fit full-size and half-pan catering aluminum pans, which we all love and adore. Of course, you know, since it's made by the Barbecue Guru, the quality is through the roof. It's unbelievable. And, of course, easily
2: adaptable
0: to all or any of the automatic pit temperature control devices that the Barbecue Guru makes. There have been time tests where the Onyx oven is getting 24, 27, 28 hours on a load of charcoal with that Barbecue Guru attached to it, keeping it at prime operating temperatures. But believe me, The money that you invest up front, you will be getting back 10 and 20 and 50 fold because you are going to be able to break it down and take it wherever you want it. You're going to be able to set it up at catering gigs. You're going to be able to do a lot of meat, which is very important because that's how you get the ROI, baby. You charge it to the customer. And you have the ability to customize it with these automatic pin temperature control devices that the Barbecue Guru invented. So do me a favor. Go to the Barbecue Guru website and check it out for yourself for pricing and all that other fun stuff. BBQGuru.com. BBQGuru.com. Also, you can dial them up and talk to them ear to ear if you want. Ask for Bob. Push sales when you call in. 800-288-GURU. 800-288-GURU. And you can talk to them ear-to-ear ear and get the lowdown on the Onyx Oven. First one to buy it wins free sauce for me. How about that? All right, we're going to chase down Bubba Latimer right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back.
4: Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempy.
0: All right, 14 past the hour. Welcome back to the show. I'm your program host, Greg Rempy, 877 448 0433. Number to call Greg at the BBQ Central Show is the email. Don't forget, coming up in the second hour, we have Mike Pickett, KCBS judge, looking to become a master certified judge. He cooked with hot grill on grill action a couple weeks ago, so we'll talk about that. Also, Malcolm Reed is going to be talking about texture of barbecue. But first, as promised, next my thing all over the place let me get my uh, questions ready joining me now one of the powerhouse teams on the competition circuit and currently they are sitting in the 20th overall position for kcbs team of the year also own two barbecue restaurants one in jasper georgia one in woodstock georgia he is the pit master of barbecue bubba latimer joining me here on the show bubba how are you buddy
3: i'm doing fantastic greg have How's everybody
0: doing there? Uh, Everybody in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city is, uh, not to be redundant, rocking and rolling, and we're happy to have you aboard and uh, glad you could make time for us here tonight, Bubba. Uh, You were in Marietta, Georgia this past weekend at that Sam's event. You take fourth overall, and you've had a few days away from it now. Uh, You know, as you look back over this past weekend, how were you satisfied with the cookies? Satisfied, not satisfied, happy to continue to move on in that Sam's chase? Where did it shake out for you?
3: Well, you know, I'm I'm extremely satisfied to move on. Um, you know, one of the things that I found out about this cook is it was uh, it was a very different cook than any other cook that I've ever done. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, myself or any of these other competitors, we go out to these contests, and we obviously we all want to do well. And if you don't do well, you just don't do well, you know. But for this type of uh, series that is going on, you have to place well to advance. So for me, all I wanted to do was make a top six position and probably just like anybody else. And um, my focus wasn't necessarily to win the contest this weekend, um, but it was, you know, I'm, we, we made it in and I'm grateful to move on. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, the other teams uh, that didn't make it, you know, that's just the way it is.
0: You know, Bubba, I wonder, because of the nature of this contest, like you said, uh, do you feel any added pressure to perform relatively better than you would going out because of the stakes? I mean, you win this whole thing, it's, it's not a bad cash prize, nothing to sneeze at.
3: No, you know, the, the, the money involved is, is great. I think there's bigger pictures there to think about uh, with the whole series. But as far as as the pressure itself of of the cooking, I didn't think that it would be anything different, but there is an added pressure there because if you don't make that top tier, you're out of the series. Um, And, you know, so I definitely mentally, uh, I think Saturday morning is when it kind of hit that, you know, this really is it, and if we don't perform well this weekend, then we're out. So uh, I definitely would say anybody else uh, that is cooking in any more of the contest to qualify, um, definitely put your best game on.
0: Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show. The website, by the way, and uh, get your pencils out for this one. It's bub, B-U-B, hyphen, B-A, buh hyphen dot bubbaq.com if you want to check that out uh so we look at your categories bubba from this past weekend you had placed 13th in chicken uh, two top 10 calls with uh second in ribs which was obviously very good eighth in brisket and then an 18th in pork as well so with two top 10 calls uh two categories that finished out of the top 10 uh the ones that finished in the top 10 did you feel that uh, they turned out very well and i mean how satisfied were you with your turn-ins overall
3: Um, You know, I was real satisfied uh, with my chicken, my ribs, and my brisket. Uh, I was really kind of surprised on my chicken. Um, My ribs I've kind of been working on, and I've had those dialed in lately pretty well. My brisket is, you know, last year I was almost untouchable, and I'm kind of lagging in at some this year. I've kind of been across the board in it. Uh, My port this weekend, I actually agree with the standings on it. I didn't think it was the best port that I've ever turned in, Um, but, you know, it it, it got us through.
0: So, as far as turn-ins are concerned, uh, Bubba, and I I love asking people, especially competitors that I haven't had on the show before, because usually if you've been on the show uh, once or twice, uh, I've at least asked it to you, but... And this might sound like a weird question, but everybody seems to have a different answer. Uh, before you were running your turn-ins to the tent, do you do you taste them prior?
3: You know, my chicken and my ribs, I don't taste. Um, I'm pretty consistent into it. And I one of the things I look for, uh, the, well, like with my chicken, um, I'm real consistent in what I do with there. Um and you just, you know, you, you can't sample every piece of it, and each piece of chicken can be different from one to another. So I don't, I don't necessarily worry about that. Uh, my ribs, I typically look more for, uh, um, um, I'm trying to think, uh, taste, presentation, texture. You know, on, uh, on how the tenderness and texture is going to be on those. Uh, again, my flavor profile is pretty much the same pork and brisket you you really have to taste those things because there's they come out different every weekend you know it doesn't matter if you're using the the same injections the same rubs on a constant basis meats themselves are different and so you just need to taste them Uh, if you need to add to it do whatever you can and try and get that optimal flavor that you're looking for
0: Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show. Uh, Bubba, so as you look back, I mean, we're just kind of finishing out the month of August, so we're eight months into 2011. How's the year gone for you?
3: You know, overall, I'm real happy with the year, with the way the year has gone. You know, I cook both KCBS and FBA events. I've been fortunate to have success in, in both sanctioning bodies. Um you know, um, I, I really don't have any complaints. You know, other than you know the two DQs that I've had in a month. Um, you know, and that's I can't blame anybody but, about that but myself. But all in all, um, you know, we've we've been in the game all year long, and you know that's that's just my my goal when I go out. Uh, I I want to win contests by all means, but you know I know that I can't win them all, and if I can turn in a consistently good product, then eventually it, it hits.
0: Bubba Blatimer joining us here on the show. Alright, Bubba, so for the people that might not know you, let's go ahead and back up a little bit here since we have time. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with Bubba Q... Uh, you, your wife Shannon, how did you get into this whole barbecue deal? I mean, was barbecue something that was just, you know, in your family when you were growing up and it's something that you just got into down the road or perhaps was it not around you and this is something you just happened into later in life?
3: Well, it it really is something that happened later in life. Um, I've just, I've always enjoyed the grilling and the, the smoking aspect of it. How I got into the business itself, I, I, I had another company where I dealt with the food service industry. And during during that, I thought that I would like to have a restaurant, and if I ever did anything, it would be barbecue. And literally what happened, a customer of ours that we dealt with um, had a location. They moved down the road, and I went and uh, looked at it. Two hours later, told my wife, hey, guess what? This is what we're going to do. Uh, So that was November of 2004, we opened up our first restaurant in Jasper, and it really was just kind of one of these things where I said, you know, hey, we're going to do this, and we sink or swim. And then somehow or another, I ended up talking to people that were in the contest part of the barbecue world. Uh, Went out, a guy asked me to come cook with him one weekend. I went and spent Saturday with him. Called my wife and told her, hey, we're going to go spend a bunch more money, and two weeks later did my first contest, and the first contest I did was in May of 06, and won that, which is the worst thing in the world that could have happened to me, (laughs) because hook, line, and sinker, and five years later, and several hundred thousand dollars, and tens of thousands of miles, here we are today.
0: When you made that initial purchase, uh, since you've been competing for five years, what did you buy for a cooker at that point?
3: Well, for my competition cooking, I started off with a Lane 84, you know, and I spent about four or five months running around with tables strapped to the top of my Suburban and my cooker and coolers and just did our thing, you know, like anybody else in out there, you, you get into it and... You you find out what you need, what you don't need. And I remember meeting Ron Montgomery and one of the comments he had made to me was that people that typically tend to do well have accommodations. And a couple (laughs) months after that, we got our our first trailer and have just just moved on from there.
0: All right. So you you got into a lane. What are you using now?
3: I use now I, I Stumps is the product that I use when I compete, and I've got I'm on my third no fourth Stumps unit uh, now. I started with a uh, two two three, and then I went to an elite model, which they no longer make. Mm-hmm. Then last year I took on a stump stretch. And then up until um, April of this year, I used that uh, that stretch, and then we have now a modified version of his classic.
0: Is that something that you plan on sticking with those type of vertical or cabinet smokers? I mean, going from a lang to a stumps, obviously a big departure. You're working with an offset cooker in a lang, and then to go to a stumps, uh, more charcoal driven than anything else with wood chunks, probably for smoke flavor. Was that a ability to, to get rest during a competition as well? Because obviously, with a lang, you're feeding that thing probably every you know forty five minutes to an hour, depending on what kind of fire you're running.
3: Yeah, the, you know that's exactly it. You know, as you really get into uh, the barbecue and you start learning how many different types of pits really are out there. You know, I, I really like the idea of the insulated gravity feed cookers. And so I went uh, to a contest in Birmingham a few years ago and literally drove over and bought a, my first stops, came back and used it that weekend. And there was definitely a learning curve on it because of it is such a different cook from the stick burner to that. Uh, but what what I found is I, I I like the way that it cooks. It's you know environment really don't matter rain hail sleet snow any of that. And once you learn how to cook on it and set it up, you know you can you can still get some rest. You can produce great products on the process and. At the same time, if, if you're somebody like myself that is doing, you know, 35 to 40 contests a year, you're not worried about speeding up the, the entire night, just feeding that thing with, with the fuel. You know, I'm not one of the, the hot and fast cookers like some of the other guys out there. So, you know, for me, I found that it, that it works great. They're wonderful pieces of equipment, and, you know, they, they, they work great.
0: Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show. The website, by the way, Bub ba qcom BubbaQ.com. Uh, Bubba, when you look back on your start, you know, five years ago, you went out with some guys and saw what they were doing. You got hooked. What were some of the things that you wish someone would have told you to help your uh, ramp up or learning curve?
3: You know, the, the biggest thing that I wish I knew in the very beginning and the biggest piece of advice that I actually give anybody is keeping things simple. You know, it's, that's the same thing we do with the food at our restaurants and realistically what I do when I compete. You know, I've, I've done a lot of fancy ingredients. You hear about things, you see things, uh, but ultimately I think barbecue is it, it's a simple product. And if you can focus on that and find flavor profiles that appeal to the masses, that's really what works out best. Uh, um, you know, I've spent a lot of money on different ingredients, and that doesn't mean that you're going to produce that much more of a product. You know, so um, you know, ultimately, sticking to the basics, and you don't have to bring. Everything from your house out to compete, you know, keep it to the minimals, uh, have a schedule together and just run with it.
0: Now you have a unique dynamic on your team, Bubba, and, uh, we probably spend the, the rest of the segment here talking about it, but your wife is also a part of what you do during the weekend. And I wonder, you know, how does that dynamic work and perhaps has it ever gotten you, uh, you two in any type of a, a bad place or, or hot water with each other uh, during the competition uh, after things are said and done, results are in? Uh, you know, is there any, or ever any type of animosity uh, or anything like that? I can't imagine, you know, in that type of a pressure situation, having, you know, uh, your wife there with you. Uh, people could perceive that to be, a, you know, a potentially hazardous situation.
3: You know, um, you're exactly right on that. You know, there's a lot of times that I do go out and cook by myself, and so I'm very comfortable with that. And when my wife comes along, you know, she definitely, my wife is very outspoken uh, and opinionated. And so there there definitely are times where the, the heat in the kitchen, so to speak, does get a little more than uh, is at a nice comfort level. But, you know, it, we know what we're there to do, and we have to find a, a happy median with whatever's going on. You know, whatever is happening at that point, that's what it is, and we have to make do with that situation. Um, you know, but I, I can kind of be a hard ass sometimes, and, you know, she's trying to do what she can to help. And she does a great job. I mean, you know, she know, she does have great ideas. You know, she just she just saved my ass on the Ultimate Barbecue Showdown a couple months ago, um, and she'll never let me live that one down, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as, as much as I do this, it is nice if something's going on to have another voice of opinion or reason uh, to make something happen.
0: Yeah, I was going to say because, uh, and you mentioned that you do compete uh, from time to time by yourself. Uh, you know, I've asked Rod Gray the same type of a question, and he'll do cooks by himself throughout the year uh, without his wife Sherry. But he says that when she is with him, he has better overall cooks when uh, when Sherry accompanies him. Do you find that you know you have a better overall cook when your wife is with you, or are you able to put them, you know string them consistently together regardless of if you're Bubba by himself or Bubba with wife?
3: You know, I think realistically, overall, it doesn't matter if it is by myself or with her. The one thing that when I am out by myself is I have a very rigorous schedule in how I do something, and I don't have any other variables to to get in that way unless something out of my capacity gets them in there. Um. You know, all of a sudden when my wife is there, um, if she has an opinion about something or has something to say, it may not be something that I thought about, and then I have to think about it. Um, you know, so it's it's really one half dozen or another. You know, she is, she's been out when we win, she's been out when we lost, um, and she's had some great advice, and sometimes not so great advice, but I just, I, that's the dynamics of any team realistically.
0: All right, so I mean, you've been in the game for a little while now—five years. You've seen some things come in vogue and then turn around, go right back out of vogue. Do you think there might be some new trends hitting the competition circuit maybe over the next year or so, or do you think it might kind of remain widely unchanged for the better part?
3: I think it'll it'll remain for the most part widely unchanged. Now there are, there are a lot of things that are happening out there and things that are potentials that can happen, just a, just like the sand series. Um, you know, the, a huge company, huge exposure that, you know, us that to go out and do this barbecue as a sport or a hobby or however somebody wants to deem it, um, anytime anything of this nature comes along, it only betters all of us off. And whether it is you are in competition, competing, you have products to sell, you're on the food side of it. Any any good exposure can only help.
0: Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show. And we're talking about pretty much everything that has to do with competition, especially relating to him, by the way, again, his website, Bubba, B-U-B dash B-A, buh, and uh, final dash with the letter Q, BubbaQ.com. There's a lot of other BubbaQs out there, so make sure you're searching that one. And we're talking uh, with Mr. Latimer here. So uh, Bubba, hang back here just for a second while I go ahead and get this spot in for uh, my man. He is a, a retailer of fine jewelry, To the Barbecue Stars. And I I think you know where I'm going with this by now. Look, his name is Stephen DeFranco. He's located right here in uh, downtown. Well, it's not downtown Cleveland, but it's Willoughby. Historic downtown Willoughby. Head due east outside of town for about uh, 10 minutes or so. And bang, you're right there at the corner of 81 and 94. And he has a great deal going right now. Uh, Father's Day, I got my hands on an Accutron... Watch that—that That is the premiere line made by both of them. And I was like, you know, wouldn't it be great to know somebody in the jewelry business? I mean, nobody knows anybody in the jewelry business. But guess what? Now we all do. And his name is Steven DeFranco. You can first visit his website if you go to the Barbecue Central Radio Network's homepage. And you'll click on his banner. That'll bring you right to the Centralite landing page made especially for us because deep down inside, Steve is a barbecue guy. He owns a good one smoker. He likes to do the backyard stuff just like me. But he does have a day job and it happens to be nice jewelry and watches. He's a watch freak. So now you can get 30% off an Accutron line watch from Boliva. And if you mention me or Steve in the term Barbecue Brother, you'll get an additional $50 $50 off the watch. So, let's recap. 30% off an Accutron line watch. When you mention my name in the term Barbecue Brother, you get an additional $50 off. Plus, if you don't live in uh, the greater Cleveland metro area, and who does? I do. He'll ship it to you for free. If it's a gift for a, uh, a wife, a husband, a same-sex lover, whatever you got, they'll engrave it for free. Also, you'll get free shipping. It doesn't get any better than that, especially when you don't live around here. They'll polish it for free. Free batteries for life. If your battery runs out, just send it back in. They'll replace it for free. It doesn't get any better than that. It's customer service extraordinaire. So go ahead to the Barbecue Central Radio Network's homepage, click on the Stephen DeFranco jeweler, and then go to the Accutron line of of Bolivar Watches. Peruse them. Buy one for yourself, buy one for your wife, or whoever you got. And save 30% off instantly. It doesn't get better than that. And then use my name and the term Barbecue Brother. Get $50 off that. When was the last time you could say my name and get $50 off of anything? Usually you mention my name in public, and people want to punch you in the face. So forget about it. No punches in the face, just savings in the pocketbook. Steven DeFranco, D-I-F-R-A-N-C-O, stevendefranco.com. Peru save 30%, get an additional $50 off. And don't forget, use the term barbecue brother to do that. All right, we're going to pick back up here with Mr. Latimer, finish up here with a competition talk. Uh, where's my question?
4: Oh, jeez. Oh, right. i cooking brisket and ribs and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Now, obviously out of
0: practice, I'm talking over my own bumper music for crying out loud. All right, we're bringing Bubba back up. Apologize for that, Bubba. I, you know, this is only the second week in a row. I had like three weeks off, so I'm just kind of getting my uh, gears back together here. Uh, one more question about the competition stuff here before we turn it over to the business of barbecue and restaurants. You know, I talk a lot about the show on uh, flavor profiles and, you know, there are a lot of people out there taking classes, learning from people that are winning, uh, kind of copycatting their flavor profiles to a certain degree because they want to win. And now, I mean, you know better than anybody doing barbecue competitions doesn't happen to be very cheap. So when you're new and you're shucking out six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars to do a competition, depending on where you're going, you want to recoup that. You want to win some categories. You want to win reserve grand champions and grand championships and all that stuff. Uh, but there seems to have been like this emergence of barbecue competition cooking classes where people are telling exactly what they're doing and other teams are trying to go out there and apply that exact same things. And perhaps there might be this vanilling of flavor profiles that's hitting the country. Uh, A, do you agree with that at all? And B, uh, perhaps more importantly, how did you devise your flavor profiles to kind of stick out and stand out? Well, the,
3: the first part of that question, and, you know, I, I do agree with people doing classes Um, You know, anybody that's interested in it and wants to learn, I mean, there's a lot of information, but there's nothing like hands-on. But one of the things about classes is because I show you something does not necessarily mean that you can copy exactly, exactly what I do. One of the things that I don't think I can show you or any other teacher is the exact feel for my food at that present time, Um, you know, and that's just just a hard thing to do. You know, I have a guy that works for me that I've been training for over a year now to go out and cook, and as much as he is doing like I do, it's not going to necessarily be 100% of what I do. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I, do agree with it. And if, if you have somebody that can go out and teach and try and explain what they do, I mean, I can hand you a bottle of rub, I can hand you some sauce and I can tell you what to do, but you also need to, to have a feel for cooking and how to get something done and bring it out for presentation. Um, and you know, if, if something just doesn't work out, what do you do to recover from that, to make something happen?
0: And that comes with the experience. So
3: that that does come with experience. You know, the the guys that only cook a couple of times a year, I do think that they're gonna struggle for the most part for from those that are out on a regular basis. You know, consistency means more than anything out there and if you are cooking Constantly, You have a routine, you know, what's going to happen or have an idea of what's going to happen. And that just, that really does come into experience. And that is a big, big key and advantage uh, that some of us have over some of the other
0: people. Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show, Bubba-B-A-Q.com, the website, BubbaQ.com. By the way, Bubba, Mo Kaysan saying, what's up? No case on checking. Hey,
2: Mo.
0: Mo, where you at, brother? Where you at, yeah, big boy? Where you at, big boy? Come on, the show. Come on, you, you got to do the show. Uh, anyway, uh, so, but let me ask you this, and you you made mention, so I, I didn't know if I was going to actually ask this or not, but since you made mention that you cook lower then you know probably the, the majority of people that are out there you know doing it as much as you do a lot of power cookers out there are cooking the hot and fast i had a conversation with a gentleman uh, based out of chicago who runs the amazing ribs website who said that, uh, you know, barbecue is, is evolving and you can't have this revisionist uh, non-traditional or, or only traditional uh, definition of barbecue, which to me is between 200 to 250 degrees and it's done with wood smoke and all this stuff. And I made a point to him that I would not be somebody who relents, that I would not be or I would continue to be a revisionist and that uh, what the majority of people seem to be doing, or at least we hear about in competition cooking, this uh, the the butter- poaching of chicken, uh, you know, biscuit and pork and ribs at at 350, 400 degrees, in my term, is not even barbecue. It's some, like, bastard version of what we attempt to do out in the backyard. Would you agree or disagree with that?
3: Um, I kind of disagree with that. You know, and the the reason uh, being, (laughs) we all have different perceptions of what something should be. Uh, you know, if you want to say that I'm more of a purist and we tend to go the low and slow method, um, then that's what you say. But in, in the last several years, and I guess if anybody wants to attribute anything to the power cooking, you know, I think Myron pretty much started that whole thing and has had a lot of success and there's a lot of other teams that have had great success with it as well. Uh, you know, I mean, you've got Tuffy, Mike Davis, uh, just to name a couple right off the top of my head. You know, Trig, I mean, these guys have have turned that into a a way that, that they can cook. And uh, obviously, they're putting out a great product. You know, we also, you know, if something has happened at the restaurant and something's happened, you know, we've power cooked there. I've had to power cook in my stump's cookers before because of something that happened out there. Um, I, I still think that you can still produce a great product, plus meat products themselves have changed over the last 15, 20 years. And so you, you have different contents of, of fat and the way that the texture of meat itself is out there. And, you know, ultimately, however you cook, if the end product is something that you enjoy or the people eating it enjoy, then I don't think that it really matters how it was done. Now, when I say that, I don't agree with cooking something in an oven all day long with liquid smoke and sodium <laughs> nitrates and all of that and just throwing a bunch of barbecue sauce on it. That's kind of, uh, you know, well, that's just not barbecue in my, my opinion. You still have to have you know wood and smoke and all of that. But the ultimate product is, is what determines what it is.
0: Bubba Ladmer joining us here on the show. All right, Bubba, so we'll transition out of the competition scene and uh, let the restaurant business take over here. And I guess, you know, I find it interesting that you got into the uh, restaurant world first and then kind of did the catering or then did the competition thing. You know, a lot of people cook it in their backyard. Their friends encourage them. You know, it's so good. Go ahead and start a restaurant, which to me always seems like the worst idea ever because restaurants fail at an incredible rate. So getting into the barbecue restaurant biz, you said it was like, this is what we're going to do. It's all or nothing. What were some of those biggest pitfalls that you ran into opening up your first facility?
3: Um, you know, for me, it might've been a little bit different. You know, um, I had another company where i dealt with food service for a number of years and I had a lot of friends in it in the food service business. And, Dealing with restaurants, you know, owners, managers, chefs on a daily basis, you know, I was able to get some inside uh, dealings of how things worked. I also paid attention as a customer of what I like and don't like. And when the opportunity came up, we tried to do that in our location. Um, You know, I would say some of the pitfalls that we really got into is truly understanding how to put out good products on a consistent basis yeah you, know, you you've got to learn labor cost food cost i mean there, there's a lot of things up front that you you de- do need to learn how to know and, and keep in line
0: yeah i guess and that was actually my next uh, question so great segue and a great guest uh how do you how do you go about making consistently good barbecue to turn out to the customers it has to be a challenge
3: um, you know, again, you know, back to keeping things simple. When we opened our restaurants, you know, I, I took things that I did and tried to emulate that into the restaurant. I also had an advantage that my restaurant I did not have to depend on for an income because I had another business that did well. So it kind of gave me some lead room to, to not worry have to worry about the bottom line and that we have to make money right now and I've got to pay my house note, i got to pay the car and all that. You know, I, I didn't have those pitfalls that I have to worry about. Um, but in trying to, to keep a, a good product out there and and put that out, um, that is, is a hard part. You know, one of the things that you're always trying to do is guess how much food you're going to have to cook. You know, you can set pars, you know, once you you get into business and you have an idea of from week to week what your business is going to be, but you still are guessing what you're going to do. I mean, there's times that we run out of food, there's times that we have too much, and you just have to have procedures and processes in place to try and keep those checks and balances what they need to be.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, I would imagine has to be key, and you said to keep it simple. So, you know, when I think about wanting to open my own barbecue restaurant here in Cleveland, I want to buy like an old Dairy Queen that's just a walk up and I would cook like pounds of pork and brisket and do maybe some ribs and chicken, but that would be it. So to me, it's like simplicity of menu. So when you were making out the menu, did you, you were just trying to do things that you did well and not get all exotic and offer 50 billion different things.
3: You know, great restaurants across the country focus on a couple of items. Um, You know, we're a barbecue restaurant, and you have four staple items there, the chicken, the ribs, the pork, and the brisket. Now, when we first opened up, we only offered brisket on specials on the weekends from time to time because, you know, where we're located, brisket is just not a, a big item. And we waited until we had the demand uh, before we made regular, made it a regular menu item. Uh, <laughs> but, but just, you know, think of, of the basics there. You know, you, you don't have to have everything under the sun. You're not going to be able to please everybody that comes into the doors. You know, the idea is to please the masses or the vast majority of what comes in there and make some money along the way. You know, um if, you know we constantly get get somebody that will say, "Well, why don't you do this or why don't you do that?" Um, and that's great, but the bottom line is I can't do something and and bring in food and have labor and utility cost and all of this for a couple of people. Um, you know so you just ultimately, you know back to that keeping things simple, you know, I looked around in our region, and what were these kind of basic staple items that, that you deal with and that's what we went with. And then as business picks up and progresses, you can expand what you're doing, you know, and you you, you, you can't be afraid to evolve.
0: Bubba Latimer joining us here on the show, pitmaster of Bubba Q, uh, the website bub-ba-q.com. Uh, Bubba, how did you uh, determine what cookers you were going to use for the restaurant, and what did you land on?
3: Um, you know, when I, I did my first restaurant, I was standing in there, and I called a buddy of mine that owns an equipment company, and I told him what I was doing. And I, I had the idea of doing a Southern Pride or something in there. Um, but since this was something I took a certain amount of money and put it into, that, that equipment didn't fall in the budget. <laughs> so what I did is I got online and I started searching around for various pieces of equipment, and I ended up coming back to Lane, And we actually, up until... This past December, um, at our restaurant in Jasper, where we started, a Lang 84 was our main cooker. Wow. Um, So we found stuff that would work within our budget.
0: Did the FDA give you trouble for cooking stuff on a wood burner in a commercial area?
3: No. uh, You know, we had requirements that we had to do to have the cooker set up. We had to have it in a... Uh, a screened-in enclosure area and a way to transport food from that area into the restaurant. And what we did is around the back of the restaurant, attached to the building, just made that enclosure. And then as food comes off the cooker into the restaurant, we just had to make sure it was covered.
5: All right.
0: So that's uh, definitely not of the ordinary when you talk to most people doing some type of a a barbecue restaurant. Any future plans for other locations, Bubble?
3: Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we are looking for a third location. Um, I just looked at a location today that I really, really would like to have, and called the property company, and they're writing a lease on it now. Um, I have looked at some other, other locations in the Atlanta area, and <laughs> excuse me, you know, for us, when we are able to find the right place and get the right deal, then that's when it happens. You know, I'm not going to break my back trying to go out and do something because, you know, opening up a restaurant is an incredibly ex- expensive venture. Um, you know, equipment gets expensive real quick, insurance, build outs, all of this, you know, these things add up really, really fast. So for me, it's just, you know, it has to be right. You know, we have two successful locations we're doing great at, um, and just, you know, when it happens, it happens. I mean, I, I definitely would love to have a new location tomorrow, but I think if I let emotions get into the way rather than making strong, solid business decisions, then I'm going to get in trouble. So, you know, for right now, we're actually our, our Woodstock location that we opened up a little over two years ago, uh, we've got 3,700 square feet there we're actually going to expand that location by another 1,500 square feet. And then, you know, like I said, whenever the, the right deal comes along for another one, that's that's when it happens.
0: All right, so where are you going to be competing at next, Bubba? Uh,
3: this weekend, I'm going to be close to home in Kennesaw, Georgia. Then I uh, go on vacation uh, for a couple weeks. Uh, I have... My other cook, Garrett, is going to Greensboro, North Carolina, for another Sam's event. And then September is just crazy. We've got uh, caterings. uh, We've got doubleheader competitions between myself and my other cook. And just moving right along.
0: Any plans to go out to the American Royal this year?
3: You know, I did have plans to go out to the American Royal. Um, and then the other day I noticed that the open is full and I haven't signed up. I didn't sign up for that. So I'm, I'll, I'll be on the waiting list for that. And if, if we get in, I don't think that I'm going to drive out just for the invitational. If I'm going to go out, I want to do both events. Um, you know, so if, if it happens, it happens. If not, we'll put it on next year.
0: All right, there he is. We're talking with Bubba Latimer. Again, the website, bub-ba-q.com, bubbaq.com. Go ahead and check that out. Bubba, I appreciate you hanging with me for two segments here and breaking down all the competition stuff and then the restaurant stuff as well. Continued success. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Well, thank you very much. And If uh, there's anybody ever that has any questions, uh, by all means, shoot me an email. Look us up on Facebook um, anyway, and I'll do what I can.
0: All right, Bubba, thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Zach.
0: There he is. It's Bubba. Pulling a 40-minute, 40 40-second 40 two-segment Willie. Awesome. Two Bubbas in a row. That's right. Uh, again, the website, because uh, when I was looking on instant chat, <laughs> I was getting the Westlake, Ohio barbecue. <laughs> Al Bubba Baker's Bubba's Q. Not the same thing. Bubba Q. B U B B A Q, as in the letter. B U B B A Q.com. That is his website. So many thanks to him. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and do uh, the last uh, read for the first hour. And we're going to talk to you about Fred's music and barbecue. But now. We are morphing names because morphing names is what it's all about. You got to keep the brand tight. You got to keep the brand succulent. And it doesn't get any better with Fred's Music and Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply Company. Big Mista is in. What's up, Biggs? With Fred's Music and Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply, you get a lot of different things. First and foremost, you get an reputable online retailer. Look, friends and neighbors, what if I told you I had 25 and a half inch Weber Smoky Mountain bullet smokers, and I was going to sell them for $5.78 a piece plus $78 in shipping? You'd flip out. It would be the best price ever. Orders would be coming in by the dozens, by the boatloads. Unfortunately, friends on the internet, things can get a little shaky. You know, like porno. What? That's right. What? So to avoid barbecue porno, you gotta deal with an online retailer who is trusted. And that's why you want to go to Fred's Music and Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply Co. They have Big Green Eggs. They have Bradley Smokers. They have Weber uh, Cookers and Grills. They have uh, Primo. They also carry pretty much any cooker or grill you want to get your hands on. You can do it. That's right, Chris. Fred is going to start selling Rolex to take on DeFranco. Absolutely. Plus, he's got all of these sauces and rubs through the Tasty Lick line especially that sweet and tangy secret sauce that i've been telling you about for weeks and what's great about it it's got that tang which my palate is particularly accustomed to and it does very well in the competition as well as the backyard but it uses the same spice block that you get in the smoking guitar players original rub so when you want to keep things consistent and succulent, you want to use the same flavor profile throughout. When you start with the rub all the way until you finish with the sauce, and that's why you want to use the sweet and tangy sauce and the smoking guitar player's rub because the spice block is exactly the same. Again, new name, which eventually will just be converting to Tasty Licks BBQ Supply at some point, but right now it's Fred's Music and Tasty Licks barbecue Supply Company, and you can find them at either tastylicksbbq.com or you can find them at Fred's Music.com. And BBQ.com. We are going to wrap up the first hour and get ready for the second hour. Stick around, we'll be right back.
4: 774480433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Murphy. All
0: right, welcome back people looking on the webcam like what the hell is he doing <laughs> it's a lot easier to sit in the studio than it is to get out of the studio i should get one of those uh high pointing cameras a high pointing camera would be good i think yeah i think uh, i think uh i think it would be good ohio Yeah, yeah, Chris Payne. All right, so that's my bad right there. Uh, So we wrap up with the first hour here. Uh, Thanks again for Bubba Latimer, or not even for, but to Bubba Latimer for joining us. It was uh, pretty much the whole first hour that we talked about competition stuff. I could have easily taken probably another 35, 40 minutes with him. But, hey, that's what the good part of the whole deal is here. You have a good guest, which Bubba was. He shared a lot of great information. And he talked with passion and enthusiasm. And since we ran out of time with him, uh, we are definitely able to reload him at some point in the future, probably sooner than later. So hopefully you liked all of the items that Bubba had to share Look, I've often wondered what it would be like to start my own barbecue restaurant. I, would, I think I would absolutely love to do it. And then I think about all the work that would have to go into it and the fact that it more than likely would fail. And then I'm uh, not so excited to do it at all. So uh, what can I tell you? All right, we're going to reload here for the second hour. We're going to do a quick deck chef, and then we'll come back. Uh, what is going on in the second hour? You ask how about Mike Pickett coming up at about 10 minutes from now, talking about getting his master's certification for the Kansas City Barbecue Society and the judging stuff. And then Malcolm Reed will close out the second hour of the show, so stick around through that. Uh, Kent Whitaker coming Are you up next. For a
1: new twist on a great recipe? Are you looking for something else to do at the grill or to impress your friends when you're tailgating? Or you just want a fantastic recipe? in the kitchen. Here's some good ideas that are quick and easy that's going to add a little bit of culinary flavor to everyday dishes. I'm Kent Whitaker and join me after these messages. Hey everyone, cookbook author and award-winning barbecue guru and homestyle chef, Kent Whitaker here. You know, one thing I've learned over the years is that homestyle cooking can't be beat. So if you need a great cookbook that's easy to follow and is similar to having a great conversation on the front porch with family and friends, then pick up one of my books at your favorite bookstore. Sheila Simmons and I are crossing the country in search of great recipes, from Texas to Georgia, from Tennessee to Alaska. So just ask for one of my cookbooks at your favorite bookstore. Or visit me online at thedeckchef.com. I'm Kent Whitaker, The Deck Chef. I'll see you at the dinner table. table. Got this question a couple of times doing some chef demos this year. How do you keep food on skewers from spinning around when you're grilling them? If you pick up the skewer, you know the food turns around or twists, and the skewer turns, but the food doesn't. So you have to end up kind of rolling them across the grate or twisting around with a fork. If you go to a Japanese steakhouse or a restaurant, a lot of these places use two skewers or skewers with flat edges. You can go out and buy these things. The flat edge ones, stainless steel, or even bamboo. And you can even get skewers that are seasoned, that are made out of wood. There's a lot of great ways you can do this. But if you only have some of those small inexpensive wood skewers here's all you have to do first just like normal soak them in some water that way it's going to protect them when they're on the grill and then use two skewers to do your kebabs so you got a row of shrimp two skewers hold them together side by side that way you pick them up nothing can have a chance to rotate because it's held by two skewers leave a little space in between them just flip them over and they're good to go works great with meatballs kebabs whatever you're cooking on a grill and it keeps all of that stuff on the skewer so all you have to do is turn it one time when you're cooking there's a lot of great recipes why like this online the at thedexchef.com.
0: Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We, we,
1: we cook because we have to and we grill because we want to fine how <laughs> you going? we have a great show of
3: a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. It's all about
2: the Charbonneau, dude. Succulent
3: fish. What?
2: He ate 50 for Wiener.
3: I'm shaking like a dog shit peach
0: seeds. (laughs) You could use it to fight off creeping marauders looking to take your steaks off your grills.
3: I just like being anywhere with
2: Junior, Senior,
0: and Diva.
3: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) look at the movie. Wow.
2: Yeah, really. Keep it hot, keep it clean, keep it lubricated. We have top men working on it right now. Mm-hmm. Tough men.
0: Hey, just like that, we're into the second hour. hey hey Thanks again to Bubba Latimer for joining me last hour for the second and third segments. We talked at length about uh, the Marietta, Georgia competition, which he took place in. And he finished fourth overall, so top six go on to the next level. So he'll be moving on. He's going to be in Kennesaw, Georgia, this coming weekend. And he was, at this point, unsure. No, Don G, I don't forget. I've got it all taken care of, buddy. I said i got it all taken care of. What? I said I all have it taken care of. He's undecided at the moment if he will be going to the American Royal, much like myself, undecided at the moment. Actually, work is deciding that for me. But if he is able to get in to the open portion, maybe I maybe I didn't know that the open has a cutoff. I mean, doesn't that really kind of contradict the whole open? I mean, if it's open, but it's only open to a few, shouldn't it be called the American Royal Limited? So you have the Invitational, which is highly hard to highly hard. Wow, highly hard. What? Uh, and then you have the limited. I mean, the open, you should be... if 1,000 people show up, man. 1,000 people get in. It's the open. If 10,000 people show up, 10,000 people get in. I mean, what the hell? What's one more team? You're telling me you got over 500 teams. One more team is now... Exclu- you have to get on a waiting list. Make more room... Plow down trees, knock down buildings, the biggest money maker that that town sees all year, I have to imagine. You're not going to let one more team in? Bubba, you can come up to my house in Cleveland, you can cook for me, and I swear to God, you'll come out with grand championship honors. That's right, bitch. Do it. All uh, right. So in about four minutes from now, we're going to be talking with Mike Prickett. And then we have Malcolm Reed joining us uh, towards the the bottom, more left-bottom side of the hour to, to close us out strong when we talk about texture of barbecue, which I think that is going to be a, a great whole thing. Believe me. Yeah, I'm still stuck on the fact that the Open has a limit. I don't get it. Call me crazy. Um I wanted to follow up on the thought that I had, and I asked Bubba about this. But when I was talking with Craig Gold, oh, geez, he would kill me if I said that, Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com, and we were talking about butter poaching chicken. Let me get from the people that are competing uh, out there in the instant chat so you can give me some type of instant feedback. And if you're listening to this in podcast fashion later on in the week and you want to weigh in with an email, you can do that. Greg at Show.com Uh, I will maintain that what is happening in the majority of competitions out there on the barbecue scene right now is not, my friends, is not barbecue. It's not. Uh, These are people out there that like barbecue. They like being around people. They like cooking with fire. But it goes against the very grain of the definition of barbecue. It has somehow morphed into an over-the-top a butter poaching, a braising, all of this stuff that has taken away from low and slow wood smoke, the standard line. This is button. If you're going to move away from it, then we need to decipher. We need to, I like to put things in sections. Okay. Uh, I want to put something here. Everything has its box for me. I'm OCD. That's just me. And again, this is my opinion. Uh, Bubba disagreed with me and he's wrong, but I'm right. So if we're going to, uh, maybe we should call it barbecue is barbecue, but then we need to make its own uh, semi-classification called competition-style barbecue. So that way you know that something is different. I will go back to the fact that when I, is it, uh, Ryan, is it, yeah, I said picket. I didn't say pricket. I swear to God, I didn't say prick.
4: Listen up. Get that stuff out
0: of Ryan, here. not a good way to get back on the show, friend. Not a good way to get back on the show. Take some notes from Logan and uh, stay down. Keep your head down. Stay Keep moving. Stay down. Keep moving. Uh, I will maintain that the majority of people, if you go back to my archives, which can be found on iTunes, which can be found at uh, the com or the BBQCentralShow.com, and you go back and listen. I ask a lot of the top teams in the competition industry, uh, do, would you eat your own barbecue? Is the barbecue that you make on the circuit what you would make at home? And the majority, the majority would say no. Uh, they're cooking the food over the top. and But I understand why. I understand why judges only taking a bite here or a bite there and you need to may imp- leave that lasting impression on their mouth which is exactly why you have to cook it differently and why you're using all of these over-the-top flavor profiles and all this other crap maybe it's just a never-ending argument that uh you know i could sit here and, and tell you about all day long and people are going to agree people aren't going to disagree and i understand that you know I, I'm talking to perhaps more of, of the more notable and visible people on the circuit. And indeed, the majority of people might not even be cooking that way. But that's what you hear about when you hear the people that are winning and you talk to them about how they're doing it. A lot of them are powering it. A lot of them are, are poaching it in butter. So I'm just talking about, you know, those people. Are, are they going against the uh, traditional ways? So if, they, if that's what you consider barbecue, then that's fine. I'm just saying that we need to make another stratification. I don't even think that's right English, correct English. We just made to make like another sub-description of what it is. It's, there's barbecue, which we all know and love. Then there's competition-style barbecue. You can open a restaurant and say competition-style barbecue for all I care. All right, enough with that. Let's go ahead and race over to the hotline and take on a very interesting conversation with Mike Pickett. First-timer to the Barbecue Central Radio Show Jungle. Mike, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Um, I'm getting into a fist fight with Ryan Ames. Is it, it's, it's Pickett, right? It's Pickett, yeah. All right. Well, he said I said Prickett, but I swear to God I didn't say that. Uh, so once again, Ryan, uh, I'm right. You're wrong. Again, not a good way to get on the show by insulting the host. Never a good way. Uh, Mike, for the people that don't know you, and uh, no offense, but obviously a lot of people aren't going to know you because you're one of those people in the tent... The majority of the time. A little background Mm -hmm. about yourself, uh, why you like barbecue, kind of how you get into it, all that good stuff.
2: Well, uh... First thing I want to do is use the line from The Jerk with uh, Steve Martin. I was born a poor white child. But, um... (laughs) What? (laughs) You've never seen The Jerk? Oh, of course I have. But (laughs) anyway, I was uh, reading in the newspaper one day where there's this uh, barbecue class, so I... Wow, that sounds like fun. I like to cook, so uh, I'll uh, sign up for that. So I took the class and uh, did uh, my first contest and really fell in love with barbecue. And me being the person that I am, I tend to, uh, before I raise my right hand and I'm not allowed to talk to the contestants, walk around and talk to them. And that's how I met the uh, guys on Hot Grill and Grill Action. So I've known them for a couple of years. But um, I uh, truly, truly, truly love all aspects of barbecue. I wouldn't spend as much time every uh, every year doing this uh, if I didn't.
0: How many competitions do you, you say you're you're doing in the course of a year?
2: Oh, geez, probably uh, 10 to 15.
0: All right, so a decent number. When you originally started, were you like, wow, I want to do as many as possible? Or is it something that you grew into this amount during the course of the year?
2: Well, I grew into it because my uh, son, uh, Dylan, who's 10... Uh, we like to pick out places we've never been to and uh, go there and do, uh, do the competition as well. So that's how I ended up going to Vermilion, South Dakota, and Huron, South Dakota, both of which were fun barbecues, and we saw places we'd never seen before.
0: What, I mean, what do you think, aside from those two locations, some of the you know, more majestic, or, or are there some locations that are really widely considered to be like meccas of barbecue that you were trying to get out to, or, or are they on a bucket list of sorts to judge?
2: Uh, I haven't really gotten a bucket list yet. Um, right now it's just places in the, you know, somewhere between 600, I guess around 600 miles from Omaha is, you know, where I don't want to drive much farther than that.
0: I, but, don't want, uh, I, don't, I would never want to drive majestic, 600 I, miles I don't go think anyway. I've
2: been to a majestic one yet.
0: <laughs> the Dakotas aren't majestic?
2: Uh, well, <laughs> it was during the flood, so there was a whole bunch of water.
0: Oh, well. Indeed, we're talking with uh, Mike Pickett. Uh, Mike, so you're just a, you're, I mean, you are a certified barbecue judge, and uh, the reason I want to have you on tonight is because you are going, is it for a, like a master barbecue judge, or what's the title you're shooting for right now? Uh,
2: master certified Kate, uh, barbecue judge.
0: All right, so give us the uh, textbook uh, discernings between a certified barbecue judge and a master certified barbecue judge.
2: Well, for the master certification, you have to judge uh, 30 events. No more than 10 of them can be uh, table captain. And you have to uh, cook with one uh, cook team at a contest.
0: All right. And as far as table captains are concerned, for the people that aren't aware of like how barbecue competitions are done and all that, uh, it's turned in, it's all blind boxing, and then you have table captains. So what is uh, what is the purpose of a table captain? What do they do?
2: Uh, table captain is a uh, first line defense for uh, spotting um potential errors in the food like the uh, wrong kind of vegetable or oversaucing or that kind of thing. They'll notice it first.
0: So what would be a, a wrong of, uh, what, what, sorry, what, what's a wrong kind of vegetable? If garnish is optional in K C B S, uh, what would be a wrong kind of garnish or vegetable?
2: Uh red tip lettuce.
0: So why is that uh, being singled out? Why is why are we uh, being racial against red-tipped
2: lettuce? <laughs> I don't think it's racial so much as just outright discrimination.
0: Well, right. I mean, it's the, uh, almost the same thing. Well, but the
2: way we're... I understand this, when KCBS first started, they had to have some sort of rules. So you know, I think where they kind of chose to do some of the rules, in particular with Garnish, was, well, we're only going to allow these certain things. So that way when they present, they have to follow the rules. They don't follow the rules. They get gang.
0: All right. So when you were going through your certification of becoming a barbecue judge, you take the class, you pay the, what is it? 60 bucks or whatever. And you get your first uh-huh. year of uh, membership to KCBS and you get the bullshit and all that happy horse crap. How was the class presented to you? What did you take away from it?
2: Um, I'm not sure how to answer that. The, I think mm. that, I took away from it most was uh, it was going to be really hard to do. Um, like I tell new judges, uh, the the very first uh, contest that you judge is going to be the hardest one you ever do in your life because you've got all these rules rattling around in your head and you're really concerned about everything going on and you want to be the best possible judge. Take you know twenty minutes to make a thirty second decision.
0: Do the noobs. The new judges um, are they being told what to do by the more seasoned veterans of the uh, judging categories? Absolutely. Uh, so it, um, now, doesn't that uh, isn't that immediately going against the grain of being a judge? If you if I'm new and I'm sitting down at a table full of experienced judges, and my palate is telling me one thing, and I'm trying to apply what I, whatever I learned in class three weeks prior, and then. Uh, the more educated, more experienced judges are telling me how I need to score it. Isn't that some type of conflict of interest?
2: Well, I, th- I think you're misunderstood. What I was saying, I would never tell another person what score to give. But before the event, I would say, okay, um, if you've never judged brisket, this is you know how you, uh, you know, test the brisket to see if it's done properly. You know, if it's too thick, it's this; it's too thin, it's that. I would I would give them hints that I've gotten over you know the past three or. Three years of judging, just to help them out. All right, wh- One other thing I like to tell them is that there isn't anybody out there that's presenting food to the judges' table that uh, is consciously doing bad food. So you really don't want to start out thinking, "Well, I'm going to give a six because that's middle of the road." You really want to think that these guys are going to present great food. So I really expect an eight.
0: So when somebody opens a box, uh, Mike, and now that you've you know done a number of competitions. When a box is opened, what grabs your attention? What makes you think right off the bat, okay, well, presentation is going to be high here. Obviously, you can't tell until you get your fingers and your mouth into it what the other two are going to be like. But just as far as aesthetically pleasing stuff, what do you like to see in the box?
2: Well, that's difficult. I suppose they depend on which uh, particular box it was, you know, pork, chicken, brisket, or uh, ribs.
0: Well, go down the line. Um, There's only four.
2: Well, chicken, um, I suppose I would look for uh, consistency. You know, you want them all to look more or less the same size. I, I like, uh, me personally, I like a, a nice, clean sauce uh, that, that on top of it if, if there is a sauce at all. You know, I don't want one that's, um, um, I guess, really doesn't look like they've taken a lot of time with the sauce. Um, one, per, I think I was in Lincoln at a barbecue and the appearance of the chicken was just something it looked awful it was kind of gray and flecky but unfortunately the uh, taste and texture were just amazing um ribs same kind of thing i mean the, the, you want them to be a nice meaty rib something that looks good um they've taken some time to put it in the box i mean i really learned a lot about presentation from watching uh Ryan when i uh, cooked with them
0: learned how not to do it
2: no, absolutely how to do it. He, he wanted me to put the uh, he wanted me to put the green stuff in there, and I was hesitant because I was like, you know, I've only ever looked at this; I haven't actually put it in a box before.
0: Do you mind if I back you up for a second, Mike? I apologize. Uh, sure. When we were talking about presentation for chicken, uh, yeah. let me let me run a hypothetical for you. Let's say we're sitting down at the table, and I'm uh, the captain is the guy that's going to show you everything, right? They pass it around and show everybody. Okay, uh, uh-huh. look at. It. So I open it up and boom, it's uh chicken breast. What's your, I mean, what's your initial reaction right off the bat? I like them. Just like um, that.
2: I'd, oh yeah. I feel, uh, if, uh, if it was a uh, drumstick side, that would strike me as odd. You don't see that very often.
0: Okay. Well, so it strikes you as odd and you immediately want to start scoring down or it strikes you as odd and you reserve judgment.
2: Uh, just strikes me aside, and I reserve judgment.
0: Give me a percentage, Mike, on judges, just in your yeah. opinion. This is, I mean, we're all just, you know, had throwing our own opinions out there. But if something were to happen like that, where you got a bunch of uh, thighs, I'm no, sorry, not thighs, but a, th- a bunch of drumsticks in a box, uh-huh. do you think that there are a, a good portion of judges out there that see non thighs and start to go right down in the scoring?
2: Oh, I would think. Around here, the people that I generally judge with, I would say not. We we tend to judge about the same.
0: What What do you think? Just in an overall sense.
2: Overall, I would. Uh, that's and I can't really speak for everybody, so I'm probably going to get dinged for saying this. No, but that's all right. People probably look at that, see something that's not the norm, and they'll mark it down one.
0: Um. Oh, there was just like another great follow up question I was just going to ask you. Um. So people are expecting thighs, and if you get something else, uh, and then they end up tasting good, everything in your eyes is now uh, justified. They they've gone because to me it seems like you know the more more people I talk to just on the competition side, there seems to be a lot of similarity of stuff, uh, but there doesn't seem to be that wanna one of those guys wants to take that big leap out to stand out from the crowd. Uh, there seems to be like well if I go too far outside the box that might actually hurt than help me. Um, do you think that that is kind of a, a, a valid statement to make?
2: I, w- I would say absolutely. Uh, for example, I, I like uh, a little bit of fruit in the sauce, like an apricot sauce I love. But other judges don't care for that. And apricot uh, sauce not being the norm, you know, somebody took the chance, one in six you know, would mark normal or up, and the other five would mark down.
0: Gotcha. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and move uh, to the ribs. How do you, I mean, do you prefer a, a certain kind? Do you like the uh, back ribs? Do you like the spare ribs? Or does it not matter what you say?
2: Um, you know, in, in all of these, I, I don't want to be that particular when I look at it. What I want to look at is what the guy is presenting to me, not what I want to eat. Mm-hmm. So what, whatever they present to me, I'm really going to try to judge by appearance. That Wow, that looks really good no matter what that is. Or that looks really average, no matter what
0: that is. Do you see a lot... I mean, what's your percentage of what you see? Do you see a lot of uh, spare ribs? Do you see an even mix between spares and backs, or is it more backs?
2: Uh, mostly spare.
0: Just in a personal preference, if you were going to make barbecue in your backyard, would you rather eat spare ribs or baby back ribs?
2: Yeah, I, I like spare ribs. I, I got a big green egg uh, for my birthday, and that was the first thing I tried on it.
0: Yeah. I love... Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of... Spare ribs, St. Louis style. Hell, I'll even just put them on untrimmed at all, and I just eat the whole thing. Cut a huge rib off, and there's nothing better than a uh, untrimmed rack of spares cooked uh, excellently and succulently. We're talking with Mike Pickett about uh, KCBS judging. He's on a mission to become master certified barbecue judge, and we're talking about just categories individually right now. We just got done with chicken and ribs, so if we move on to pork, what do you like to, you know? what do they tell you to look for in class when you open up the the box? Because there's obviously a lot of people are doing, you know, like pulled and and chopped and mixing it up with bigger pieces and smaller pieces and some shredded underneath like a basket. I mean, it has to really run a gamut of what you see at a competition.
2: But one one thing that uh, they told us in class, and I always tell new judges is uh, if they present more than one thing in the box, try to take at least one of each to taste. So if they make a point of putting some uh, bark out and then another part where they pulled some pork and another part where they've got sliced pork, the guy obviously wants me to try all three. So I take all three.
0: Do you prefer like money? Do you see a lot of this uh, money muscle seems to get a lot of talk Around competition circles, especially here on the show, you know, you're, you're cutting that. Uh, I mean, do you, do, are people looking for that in the box? Do judges want to see money muscle or are they really just looking to see what's in the box?
2: Looking to see what's in the box. Hmm. The, the problem with this category is sometimes people put uh, pork in there that probably tastes great, but there's not a lot of color to it. It's just kind of there in a big mound. And that's, I don't really find that appealing.
0: Is a lot of the sauce porked? Uh... <laughs> Okay, let me try that again. Is a lot of the pork <laughs> sauced, or do you see it kind of like uh, laced with some type of a, like a pork au jus? Uh,
2: I don't think I've ever seen au jus. You mean actually with a sauce and fruit? I mean, with a... Uh Juice included.
0: Yeah, like maybe where they, I mean, at least like when I cook my pork butts, when I finish them, I have them in like half pans. So uh, I'll I'll dump it into uh, one of those fat strainers, and then I'll pour out, you know, I guess what is the leaner uh, portion of like pork mm-hmm. gravy. And I know it's kind of popular, at least uh, with some teams in the brisket side, to maybe mix your sauce with some of the the juice from the the beef. But I didn't know if you saw anybody doing that with the with the pork as well.
2: Uh, not that
0: I've noticed. Anything that you think? Although
2: I'll start looking from
0: what, now on. Do you think that would catch on? Is that what's going to set the next team ablaze uh, that's going to set the next trend in the competition circuit?
2: If we add flavor, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so what do you, I mean, out of all of the competitions that you've seen, I mean, what do you see recurring? What's the, like, flavor profiles that you see? Is, is sweet with a little bit of heat seem to be still the, the recurring flavor profile that, that seems to be winning the majority of the time?
2: Yeah, I would agree with
0: that. Do you have um, a I, do you, Do you have a particular flavor profile that you like to taste when you're judging?
2: Well, like I said, I, I like the, the like the apricot sauce. I like a mustard sauce too, mm, like yeah. down in Georgia, but that we don't get that much here.
0: All right, so uh, turning to you know more of the the master certification process, uh, you, you kind of spelled out what you had to do as far as numbers of competitions and what you were weren't allowed to do. But you said you also had to cook with a team, and you were able to hook on uh, with the guys over at Hot Grill on Grill Action, and you did that. I think it was like a week or two weeks ago. So coming out of the yep. tent and you know latching on and being on the other side of the fence, kind of break down that whole weekend for us, uh, what it was like to be part of a cooking team versus being in the in the tent tasting and picking a winner.
2: Well, first of all, uh, huge uh, um, credit to those guys. Once they accepted me. And I promised, you know, I wouldn't divulge any of their secrets. They let me see everything and let me help with everything and let me cook with everything. So I I showed up uh, just a little bit late after they set up, but I stayed and did everything else uh, from then until the time that they took their awards. Um, But back to your question, um, I learned a lot. Uh, I can, now that with the experience I've got from them, I can look at the food that I get as a judge and, make a more informed decision.
0: Did you, after being with them and seeing the process and and all that other stuff, did you find that there were things that you weren't looking for that you are now going to be able to uh, decipher, or did it broaden your uh, judging perspective uh, for future competitions? Well,
2: um, I think what it gave me was I understand what I'm looking at now. Um, I I knew what caused these things, but now that I see how they cook them and what was added or done to them to give these effects, it it makes a big difference.
0: Do little subtle changes in, in adding this flavor or that flavor seem to make that big of a difference when they make it over to your judging table between teams?
2: Um not sure I understand
0: that question. Yeah, it's probably a shitty question. I apologize. Um,
2: when, well, it might be my brain.
0: No, I, I doubt it. It's, it's usually the question. Uh, when you <laughs> are so so, when you come back when you're cooking with these guys, and uh, I, I imagine they let you go ahead and, and taste the food before they actually turn it in. Uh,
2: yeah, actually, it's a requirement. Uh, that was one of the things I had to do was act as a judge when uh, before we turned in the food.
0: So let me let me ask you. Are they trying to like muscle you for how you how you're tasting it as a judge? Like, what are you going to score this when you tasted? Were they were they trying to use you as, like a ringer for for a taster?
2: Uh yeah. And how did and, that uh, how did know, that work I was out? Happy to do that. there's one new uh, guy who's his first competition as a cook, and I went over and gave him a lot of advice on you know my experience as a judge.
0: Sum it up. What do you think it, I mean, how was it to come back from the other side and actually work with a team?
2: Oh, I loved it. Um, I want to go back and do it again.
0: Does it does it inspire you enough to actually get out there and, and cook some competitions versus just judging them?
2: Well, let me put it this way. I'm seriously thinking about buying a truck, so I'll have something to put a rig in front of.
0: How, let me ask you this. How many flabongos do you have? <laughs> I have two, two? Oh, man, two more than I got. All right. So you're uh, definitely <laughs> halfway there to have your camp set up. Uh, so let me, let's turn the table on these cooks, Mike. And we're talking with Mike Pickett, who is looking to become a master certified barbecue judge. Is there like a, a time frame when you think that you'll have that all uh, squared away, Mike, when you'll be master certified? I'm thinking next June. Next June. Okay. So uh, a little less than a year from now, um, you know, it, I talk with these competition cooks all the time, and I don't want to say that they're bad-mouthing the judges, but you know, a lot of them seem to find discrepancy in, in, in uh, how they're evaluating food. And when I'm here, it's this way. When I'm over here, it's this way. And I understand different regions have just different place. You know, if you, if you go to Carolinas, it's going to be one way. And when you're out in Kansas City, it's going to be another way. And when you're out in California, it's going to be a different way. But the idea, at least from what I understand from Kansas City Barbecue Society, is, you know, you form this place, you go out and you teach how these people should be tasting food and what the texture should be like and give them all of this training to be able to give you and is even a playing field. From the very north portions of Washington State all the way down to, you know, the very southern tip of Florida and the Keys. And if you have competitions in either of those places, you should have the ability to get the same type of scoring. Now, obviously, there's going to be some type of discrepancy, you know, within there. So as, as we turn it around... Do you think that in order to perhaps cook a KCBS competition, you should be required to go into the judging tent and become a judge uh, or at least take the training of a judge?
2: Uh, I think if you want to do it right, I don't think it should be required, but I think if you want to do it right, you should judge probably five contests so you have a little bit of experience as a judge. Judging one contest gives you a vague idea, but judging five will give you a good idea. And back to what you were saying about um, the randomness of the scores, most of the times as a table captain, I see that the scores are you know, right, right where they should be. You know, if uh, one guy judges seven, you know, everybody will be around that seven range. Having said that, you get these weird tables where they're all over the place and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: What do you chalk that up to? Is it just that? It's just
2: random? Yeah, I think it's just random like if you get a one guy who just refuses to judge the the way you're supposed to judge on a table with a brand new guy along with a guy who's on cold medicine or something, it just you just get a weird table.
0: So do you think if competitors were out there and and they were really looking to do well, especially maybe they're in a geographical location where they plan on traveling for the most part for competitions, that if they went ahead and did 5, 10, 15 competitions as a judge, prior to actually entering their first contest, would they have a minimal leg up on the competition? A like a no change competition, or perhaps a significant leg up on the competition.
2: If you did 15, it's significant because you can trend the data on what the winning um, entries look like that come to your table. That's, that's why I was saying you should do at least five because you can kind of trend the data. If you do one, you only ever see one set of chicken one set of ribs if you do 15 you can average that out on what looks good and what is being considered winner and you can take that back and cook it
0: so with all of the competitions that are taking place out there during the weekend you know especially in these kind of months the the, the spring uh, summertime fall months and you see the teams that are out there on the top of, you know, top 10 teams in Kansas City Barbecue Society, top 20 for that reason. Do you find it very impressive that these teams seem to just consistently go in and hit a mark, and maybe they don't win every time or even finish in the, you know, top two or three, but, you know, top 10 no matter where they go. I mean, is that impressive to you, or do you come to expect that from those teams because of how well they've done in the past?
2: No, no, it's impressive. Uh, Like I said, you, you sometimes you get weird tables. And if you can get past weird tables and still end up in the top 10 more park,
0: do you talking with Mike Pickett? He is looking to become a master certified barbecue judge with KCBS. And he hopes to have that all completed in, uh, by next June. Uh, so, you know, when you were spending time with uh, hot grill on grill action, as you were cooking through, you know, what were some of the highlights of uh, that time during the weekend that you'd like to share with us?
2: Well, Logan made me do People's Choice wearing speedos. I uh, didn't care for that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that. that actually, no. Oh, wait, watch uh, out. Choice.
0: No speedos allowed.
2: <laughs> well, it wasn't the speedo. Speedo. I had to stuff it with a flabongo.
0: Oh, watch out!
2: But uh, they for the People's Choice, it's in particular the chicken. They gave me a lot of control over it. They like what what uh, rub went on it. What kind of sauce? I actually kind of invented the sauce there. And I was the one that, for the most part, stood in front of the uh, table and handed up food during people's choice. So that was a lot of fun.
0: And uh, how did you guys finish overall?
2: Uh, Let me see. For people's choice, chicken got second. Nice. Uh, For the actual competition, I believe the pork got first, and I forget the rest.
0: How did you finish overall?
2: Uh, Seven, I think. All
0: right. So that's top 10 for sure. So, I mean, you didn't hurt the team. You probably helped them uh, quite a bit, Mike.
2: Oh, yeah, well, it was. Like I said, I was, I was a good-looking guy for people's choice, so that had to help.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Mike Pickett. Mike, before I let you go, anything you want to promote or uh, talk about that you have coming up?
2: Uh, not that – oh, one thing I would like to say is uh, I mentioned my son, Dylan, earlier. He's 10 years old. He's actually taken the uh, – uh, kcbs course so he's a certified judge that uh, can't judge but he loves going to these things and i am glad i'm able to take them with me
0: yeah it's definitely got to be something fun to, to be able to share with your son and kind of tool around and hit those spots so uh, something that he thinks he's going to be carrying on in the future was he got aspirations of competing perhaps
2: oh absolutely we've already got a name for a team uh it's, i'm thinking next summer uh, we're going to actually start competing
0: do you, you want to drop the team name you want to give us an exclusive here on the show
2: Uh, Smoke in the Wind. Yeah.
0: Great name. Stick with that name. Uh, That one has great karma written all over it. Uh, We're talking with Mike Pickett. He is first-timer to the show, and he's looking to become a master certified barbecue judge with KCBS. Mike, appreciate the time tonight. Thanks for all the insight. Well, thank you. All right, take care. There he is. It's Mike. Mike? Mike Pickett. No R. Mike Pickett. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, play, damn it. Hey, gang, before we get to Malcolm Reed, you know, the newest sponsor to the show is not a newcomer, newcomer, Uh when it comes to the world of competition barbecue, he's one of the top teams out there in the competition world, Dave Bosca from Butcher Barbecue, He's made his name on the back of his superior products. The Butcher Barbecue Brisket Injection is the best-tasting marinade deemed by highly skilled and qualified judges, probably like Mike Pickett, from barbecue cook-offs sanctioned by various barbecue associations from around the United States and Canada. Do they have barbecue competitions in Canada? Just kidding. (laughs) It's a simple-to-use marinade, and it's designed to be injected injected into the meat to increase the moisture while intensifying the natural beef flavor. Okay? So that's first and foremost when it comes to Butcher barbecue. And again, you can find them at butcherbbq.com. I think we can all agree, folks, that all taste palates are different. I always say, trust your pal. So strengthen to your taste. Dave recommends starting with three-quarter cup of marinade to two cups water. Other options, you can split half water with beer. That's my choice. You can also use apple juice. You can use cola or beef broth. And then go ahead and start injecting like you know you want to do. Do them like in quadrants. Be careful. Don't bust through the backside of that meat with your needle. Also, they have a very brand new item that I've been telling you about here for the last couple weeks called Grill. It's a revolutionary product hitting the market. It's going to turn the world upside down on its barbecue ear. This is a product that can flavor many different types of meat with some easy-to-follow applications. One way is through marinating. You've heard of marinating, right? You place your meat in a container and cover enough grill liquid to cover the product for, like, two to four hours. Hell, do it overnight. I don't care. Also, a quicker way is just to uh, inject it, right? You take the grill, put it in your syringe, and then you inject it right into the meat with that grill and let it sit for about 30 to 60 minutes and it's ready for the uh, griller smoker for a full flavor boost. Why not break out of that box? Throw caution to the wind. Use both methods. One item that can do both. For brining, mix a half a cup grill with eight cups of liquid. For injecting, mix an eighth of a cup to a quarter of a cup of grill to two cups of liquid. Grill is highly recommended for chicken, but after tasting it, you realize it can be used on ribs and steak and chops, all the good stuff. It will give you the moisture expected while adding a great flavor. Two pounds for $25.50. You can get all of the products. The injections, this grill marinade, the rubs and sauces. ButcherBBQ.com is the website to go to. ButcherBBQ.com. All right, stand by. We're going to be back with um, Malcolm Reed right after this. What? Bastard. Hold on. Hold on. Here
4: it comes. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right. Sorry about that.
0: My bad. That's my bad. 20 minutes on the top of the hour waiting for Malcolm Reed. We're going to be talking about a very uh, unique subject. So let's not waste any more time. We'll race over to the hotline and uh, bring up who is uh, now becoming a regular on the show. It's pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue team, Malcolm Reed, joining us here on the show. Malcolm, how are you, buddy?
5: Man, I'm good, Greg. How are you?
0: I'm absolutely fantastic, Malcolm. I appreciate you making time for the show tonight. And, you Always. know, I was saying in the, in the uh, very open of the show when I was talking, teasing who was going to be on the show that you know you you have this website how to bbq right and of course you have your uh, killer hogs website as well killerhogs.com and uh, you sign up you get this uh, email newsletter Uh, is it once a month that you do it or you do it twice a month
5: uh you know here lately i've been trying to do one every every week but you know sometimes i skip you know how it is but just when I feel like I've got something relative to
0: say, I'll go ahead and jot it down and send it out. To there you go. So, uh, you know, another one of these emails has hit my inbox. I'm like, yeah, not damn. You know, here's Malcolm again coming up with a great idea. So let's go ahead and chase him down and talk about it. We've talked about how to get bite through uh, chicken skin, and I screwed that up myself. Uh, because oh, I, I didn't follow the exact instructions but that's uh, you know the good thing is that we still ate it we still enjoyed it and I can try again next time which is great about barbecue. Uh, we've also talked about you know reheating barbecue uh, if you have to go out to a location uh, or if you're just gonna be storing it for later on uh, but tonight we're gonna be talking about a texture of barbecue and uh, overdone no texture barbecue and I think this is kind of where that consuming general public, has, I don't want to say ruined barbecue in restaurants, but the expectation of what is good barbecue uh, perhaps is not even good barbecue at all. So let's talk about texture first and more specifically, overdone barbecue. What does it taste like? What does it feel like in your mouth? Give it that texture.
5: Well, you know, to me, to me overdone, when I say overdone barbecue, I'm talking about meat that, it, no matter where it's pork butt, ribs, brisket, it, when, when you when you take a bite of it, it's just kind of like mush. It, it's almost like it takes on a peanut butter texture. And that's, you know, to me, that's overcooked. And and there's so much of it out there people are trying to pass off as good barbecue. That's, you know, that's, that's what got me to write this whole newsletter about it.
0: So whose fault is this, Malcolm? I mean, we love to place blame here on the show. I love to point the finger as long as it's not at me. Are we looking at... Let's say uh, you know there's a Damon's, a a place for ribs out there, which is like a national chain. Or you have Applebee's, you have you know Tony Romas, where they serve you these. Let's and uh, for lack of a better barbecue, I mean every everybody knows ribs. Um, they want to almost like take uh, get a rack of ribs serve them on a plate, and then be able to grab the bone and just like extract it right out of the meat. I mean, this is not what we're looking for.
5: Uh, you know, that's what got the general public so confused over it. They think just because, you know, the meat's falling off the bone that it's done. Well, me and you both know that if you, if you pick up a bone and the meat's laying there, that meat's so far gone, it's not It's all you're going to taste is the sauce they put on it. You know, you're not even going to get anything from the meat.
0: So do you think that there is a possibility that at some point in time the consuming public will, will ever be educated to what a, a properly cooked barbecue is going to be or as long as these restaurants are out passing off their half-assed barbecue uh we're kind of at a disadvantage when we're looking to spread the gospel of correct barbecue
5: yeah i hope i hope so one day and I, you know that's why i do what i do and try to get the word out but i mean if you know people keep eating the stuff and thinking it's good it's almost like you're fighting for losing battle i mean you know it. it's it's something that I feel like people should know about. And, you know, if you're going to take the time and cook and take the, put the hard time into cooking the barbecue like the ways we cook it, that, that you know, you want everybody else to enjoy it that way, the way, it's put, the way it should be, not just this crap they're serving at restaurants, you know.
0: Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show, pitmaster of Killer Hogs uh, barbecue team. Killerhogs.com is the website. Also, uh, you can check out his blog, howtobbqright.com, an absolutely fantastic resource you know, you had said in the email, in your opinion, there's lots of folks out there that don't know Jack about good barbecue. And then you kind of went into a paragraph about one of the key factors to have in your arsenal uh, to kind of monitor how good barbecue is being cooked. What is
5: that? A meat thermometer. That's the number one thing you got to have. And I don't care, you know, if it's just a $5 job that, that you know, you can get at Walmart or if it's one of the fancy thermopens, I mean, you gotta have something that you can you can get the internal temps on that meat.
0: Alright, so let's go ahead and uh, delve a little bit further into that when you talk about uh, temperatures and how that relates to texture. Is it a fact of the higher you go in temperature, the, the texture is going to start break down and, and not have that mouthfeel that you want to have?
5: That's the way it is. I mean, you know, the science behind it, you you know, all meat's made up of protein, of course, and the whole time you're cooking it, you're trying to break those protein fibers down. And every meat has a point to which they're just gone. And with barbecue, you want to take it there low and slow, of course, but you don't want to take it too far. You know, it's a fine line when you get it just right to where that texture and tenderness and everything's going to be perfect. But, you know, without knowing those internal temperatures, of no matter what you're cooking, you know, you st- still got to know it and be able to watch them and be able to get it off the heat at the right time and rest it. And that's all it takes you know it's not rocket scientists
0: are there places that you can go to get guideline internal temperatures for people to to shoot for and be able to mark out with their thermometers
5: um well you know offhand i was just you know most of the time my on my website i have i talk about internal temperatures but i mean as far as not off right offhand i guess you could ch- check with some of the USDA guidelines or what meat's supposed to be t- taken to, but then again, you know, we're talking smoke meat, so it's different than what they might put out there, so...
0: I mean, just in preference, really? I mean, you know, when you're cooking barbecue, if you have chicken or you're doing, you're probably not taking temperature of your ribs, although that, uh, I can't believe I'm about to say this, more and more people seem to be taking internal temperatures of ribs. But for pork and brisket, are you shooting for, you know, or at least are you, are you game planning when the food might be done when those three hit certain internal temperatures?
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when, you know, we're talking pork butts. I'm going 198. Briskets, I'm pulling them right at 198 as well. Those two stay about the same. I mean, you'll see different people talk about different temperatures on them, but the the way I cook them and the way I help people, you know, when they're when they're asking me what to cook to, I tell them for butts and briskets, shoot for that 198. If you take it up into 200 or higher, chances are it's going to be overdone. Um, with chicken, you know, I don't let it go near as far. It goes to you know 185 and it's done. And that's going to get the the texture of the skin right exactly how you want it. Plus, the meat won't be dry. Now, ribs. That's like you said. I've never stuck a slab of ribs, so I have no idea what the internals are on them. But you know, you have to know how to you got you have to know how to do a bend test on a slab of ribs. What the bones should feel like, and that just comes from experience with cooking them. I mean, I can sit here and tell you that you know you pick a slab of ribs up. You hear people talk about the bend-break test. When you pick it up and it breaks, to me, that's overdone. It should bend and sag a little, but you don't want it to snap. I mean, once that meat's broke, it's it's already went too far. You can wiggle the bones a little, and if they feel like they're about to let go, but there's still some pull there, that's right at the perfect spot on ribs, too.
0: Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show. He is pitmaster of Killer Hogs Competition Cooking Team and uh, also howtobbqright.com a great uh, barbecue resource that I have been uh, perusing more and more. I found myself cuz lots of great info on there, Malcolm. Uh, so let's talk about the perfect texture for barbecue. I mean obviously we're talking about a few different meats here but you know if you want to start with you know the four main KCBS categories and kind of go down what do you think perfect texture for these are?
5: well when I, um, perfect texture, let's start with chicken when i'm when I want to bite into a piece of chicken, I want it to uh, first i I want the skin to bite through that's just obvious because that's what your goal is. but then when you bite into the meat, you should know that you're biting into a piece of meat you know it has some resistance to it, and this goes for ribs, pork, and brisket there there should there should be a little bit of resistance, but when you when you get it in your mouth and on your tongue, you know you're eating meat. that's you know kind of what I said in my newsletter that you probably read. But the same, you know, you don't want it to just disintegrate, and that goes for ribs and, and pork and, and brisket. Now, when I'm biting ribs, I want to take away the bite, and I when I want the rest of the meat to stay there on the bone. I don't want to pull off and strip a bone back. You know, have a glob of meat fall on my chest and some of it in my mouth. That's not, you know, that's overdone ribs. And when you're judging ribs, that's a, you know, that's what you look for. You want to just see the bite you take away, the rest of it there on the bone. Um, it's a little different with pork butt. Um, when I when I look at a piece of pork butt, I like to get it and feel it in my hands first. I give it what's called like a, a press test. I'll mash it between my thumb and fingers and see if you know how it feels. And if, if you mash straight through it and the meat just separates, well, it's overdone. But if it gives you a little bounce back, you're, it's right in the right range, and that's that's what it should have. And then you can take a bite of it and see how it does in your mouth. And it, it you know. It should just feel like it feels right when you're eating it. You know, it feels like a piece of meat, and you know, it doesn't just disintegrate. That's what I can't stress more when, when I talk about overdone, mushy. That, that's it's, it's almost like peanut butter. That's the best way to describe it. And brisket's kind of the same way. It it, it, it should pull a little, but not pull apart, and then it should have a texture to it as well. Malcolm, it's kind you- of you know a little difficult to describe, but but you know good you know you, you know good meat when you when you taste it.
0: Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show. Malcolm, if you ever run into an occasion where, and I'm sure it's happened to all of us, maybe not you, but a lot of me all the time, you overcook it on accident. Is there a way to salvage it at all, or is it just one of those things where you're just going to eat it, you're going to make notes on where you screwed up or where you think you might have screwed up in process, and the next time you're going to do it, you're going to pay close attention at those points?
5: That's that's pretty much all you can do, Gray. I've been there and done it myself knowing that it's went too far. I mean, you can't do anything to get it back. You know, once, once you've taken the meat too far, whether it's on a grill, a smoker, in the oven, it's, it's gone, you know. You can't get back to that stage where it's perfect again. I mean, you can try to put some sauce on it and cover it up with other stuff. But once it's overdone, it's overdone. And whether, you, you know, you're serving it to people or a judge, they're going to know if they know barbecue. You know, some people might think it's the best thing they ever ate. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, that's probably what you'll get.
0: All right, so let's go ahead and review these steps. Uh, we talk about how to achieve perfect barbecue texture, especially for the people that are just kind of popping in on the stream here. Uh, we're talking with Malcolm Reed. He's the pitmaster of Killer Hogs, which uh, website there, KillerHogs.com, and then he's got uh, an additional website, HowToBBQRight.com. Uh, but how, how do we achieve the perfect barbecue texture in these, uh, these three steps that basically it all comes down to?
5: Well, first you you gotta know what internal temperatures you're gonna take whatever piece of meat it is you're cooking to, and once you know that, you're gonna have to have a good good thermometer and a way to monitor it the whole time you're cooking it. And so when you get it to there, you got to know how to get it off the heat and rest it. That's the only three things that you have to know how to do to get it to the right place. I mean, you can you can say you know I get questions all the time about how long is it gonna take to cook ribs? How long is it gonna take to cook a brisket? Well that's just a generalization you know you can nothing cooks exactly to a timeline it's always to that to that internal temperature and as you cook more and more you'll you'll get used to it and you'll see you know you'll you know by look and know by feel when you're sticking that thermometer in I mean you get to a point where it just it comes natural almost and that's when you're producing really good barbecue
0: is there a point where Maybe you're doing everything right, but where you shoot yourself in the foot is in the hold. Maybe you've taken it out at the right time. But there's got to be, you know, especially for the bigger cuts, the pork butt, the, uh, the briskets, when you wrap them, you know, you always hear about holding meat. So holding it right, isn't there going to be some type of carryover cook time? And how do you factor that in when you're looking to take it off of the, the smoke?
5: You you do have you definitely have to watch the carryover, especially if it's wrapped. Um, number one thing, what I do is, is is take it and vent it as soon as it comes off the heat. I'm going to open up whatever foil I have on it or however I have it, if I have it wrapped in a pan or whatever. Get the juice off and get the steam off because if you don't, that's going to continue cooking that meat. And usually I say you know ten fifteen minutes venting, letting the heat the direct heat get off of it after you pulled it off a smoker let it stabilize, and then you can go to your Cambro or carlisle food warmer or whatever you have uh, just a dry cooler and it won't hurt you as bad now the more meat you put in something like that the more heat you're going to have in it and you still have to factor it in but you know it's I've even seen you know used a probe thermometer in my food carrier just to make sure that I'm not in the, anywhere cooking you know I want to be around 140 holding you know is where you'd like to be ideally but you don't want it hotter than the meat you're putting in there. You're going to get carryover. And that's just something that you have. You always have to factor that if you're going to hold it for any amount of time. So
0: if you're pulling, you know, let's say pork butter brisket, you said you were pulling them off at 198. When you put it in the cooler after you've done the venting, uh, is it going to stay there, or, or how long is it going to take for it to start dropping?
5: Well, you know, you got about five degrees. It's probably going to come up. That's why I say pull at 198, and if it goes up to, you know, 203 or whatever, 204, I'm okay. Um it. I've never watched it. Just put a probe thermometer in and see how long it takes for it to start cooling off. But I know it stays above the 140 holding for you know hours. So if I had to guess, I would say you're you know you're still you're at, at that high temperature for 30 30 minutes to an hour probably before it starts really starting to decline. And you know the better insulated cooler or whatever you have it in, it's going to hold it too. So. I don't, you don't want it to be hotter than what it is, because that's what's going to continue cooking and breaking it down. You want the you know, the protein just to still absorb some of the moisture. That's the whole idea of resting it, to let it pull some of that moisture, redistribute it, so it'll be juicy when you go to break into it.
0: Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show. We're talking about texture of barbecue and you know how the general public is eating overcooked barbecue and they're like sheep they don't know any different Uh, but Malcolm is here to change the word one reader at a time and uh, this is certainly a great way to kind of at least hear it from somebody who's out there knows how to cook really good barbecue and what to look for the internal temperatures the proper monitoring of the pit temperatures and then having a uh, thermometer as well to know when you need to take that stuff off to ensure that it is going to be the proper texture when you go to eat it and serve it to your friends and neighbors. Malcolm always appreciate the insight Thanks for coming out tonight.
5: Hey, Greg, I enjoyed it. Anytime, and uh, you have a wonderful show. I love it. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
0: Malcolm, coming on. Short notice. I'm telling you, got to be one of the top sites, uh, especially for me. I mean, I'm not a competition guy, uh, but I always want to make sure that my barbecue uh, is on its game. On it's game and uh, this is a great website to check out how to bbq com. a lot of people have been linking it up there in the instant chat so uh, certainly appreciate that malcolm reed uh, killerhogscom is his website uh, he does both kcbs but uh, they've done plenty of memphis barbecue networks as well so uh, check check uh, malcolm's website out sign up for that Newsletter. I'm telling you, it's, it's invaluable. How to BBQWrite.com and refer it to friends for crying out loud. Why wouldn't you? All right, uh, let's go back to the second hour where we got to thank Bubba Latimer for joining us. We talked about competition barbecue. We talked about in the first, in the second segment. The third segment, we talked more about restaurant business and pitfalls and all that good stuff. And then we talked with Mike Pickett at 1010 about an hour ago he's on his quest to become certified master barbecue judge and he cooked with hot grill on grill action a couple weeks ago. So he's got that portion of it taken out and looks to be certified through the master's program in less than a year from now, about next June. Also finally, thanks to Malcolm Reed from killer hogs, how to for joining us on the show, I'm talking about texture, texture, very important. When people come over to my house the first time and I'm cooking barbecue and I'm trying to make those right textures, you know, kind of weird faces on them initially. But then they come over again, they come over again, and then all of a sudden they don't want to go out to eat barbecue. And then I know I have finally done my job and converted. Yeah. Hey, uh, my name is Greg Rempe, by the way, and I want to help you control the rusty grow grate population, gang. If you have cast iron grates of the raw kind, Make sure you're seasoning them with Pam each and every use. Clean them off, Pam them down, re-season. You get years and years of succulent life out of them. But you gotta remember to season them after each and every use. Raw cast iron, dangerous. Once you get rust on there, it's like spreads like a disease. Huge show already lined up for next Tuesday, believe it or not. And I know you believe it. But until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American Greg Rempy. Good night now.